This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and we have some work to do today. It is uh, another wonderful day in uh, this great country of ours. Don't be down, don't be down. I I was doing a radio interview on a station in Champaign-Urbana, and I said this, the golden age is upon us. It always feels darkest before dawn. It certainly feels dark, and we got a lot to cover, but there's a lot of things going in the right direction, and we're going to get there together. So welcome. ProAmericaReport.com. ProAmericaReport.com. Go there and sign up for the daily email. You'll get an update on things. It comes out 5 a.m. Pacific time into your inbox, 8 a.m. East Coast time. It's got a few links, a few stories, a few what I think is important, what you need to know. We call it the Daily Wink, W-Y-N-K. Check it out. Okay, um, we have to, unfortunately, continue Crisis Afghanistan Day 3. Crisis Afghanistan Day 3. Let me give you an uh, update from a friend of mine who emailed me in Spain. He lives in Spain. He has watched a growing influence of the uh, Islamic fundamentalists in Spain. And his, t- his email to me says, just to be clear... Ed, Afghanistan is not going back to the Middle Ages, but back to the 7th century. The barbarism of the Taliban is in, is, has, excuse me, the barbarism of the Taliban shows complete contempt of all art and culture. The Middle Ages, by contrast, gave us Dante, Petrarch, Boccaccio, Giotto, St. Francis of Assisi, Thomas Aquinas, St. Catherine of Siena, our cathedrals, our abbeys, the greatest flowering of the Latin liturgy of the Catholic Church, with the glories of the Gregorian chant, the maritime republics and municipalities, the birth of hospitals, universities, and the matrix of what might be considered Western civilization. The very culture that is nowadays so little understood, so readily canceled, and so easily despised by the ignorant. And he goes on, his point being, we've just turned over in Afghanistan $85 billion worth of weapons and the country to people who want to go back, who hate the Western culture. And he goes on to say, hate, like a lot of people in America seem to hate it. We want to cancel it and and woke it and, and all that stuff. And here's the real trick of this. This is a crisis day three. Crisis Afghanistan day three. The Taliban, who hates Western culture and has very little in common with the West, has now announced they're ready to work with China and let China invest and help them be a, a, a gateway to the rest of the world. So we have the communist Chinese regime, which hates the West by definition, and we have the Taliban, which hates the West by definition, and they're uniting. Now, again, the Taliban is uh, organized crime because there's uh, poppies and and, and opium, and it's not like they're a real economy, and there's a big problem there already. The economy's uh, dying. But the, the point you should take away from this is how we did this, how we allowed this 20 years of wasted money, time, treasure, and talent to get us here is horrendously bad. But it's it's not just bad. As I've said before, crisis Afghanistan day three, the world is watching. The world is watching and the world is watching and saying, you know, you have you have leadership that doesn't know what they're doing. And again, we go back to this debate, incompetent or negligent, which is it incompetent or negligent? Well, I've been saying incompetent, but I can be talked into negligent at a certain point when you do the same kinds of bad judgments over and over and refuse to adjust. You are actually more negligent than incompetent. Or even worse, and a lot of people are saying this, it's intentional. But no matter what, again, from email from Spain, that Afghanistan's not going back to the Middle Ages, but the 7th century. Barbarism. 
And now they're allied with the communist Chinese. And it's being used against the Americans. And we now have a, we're we're focused on the crisis of the refugees. I I mean, the crisis is our, our credibility in the world. And let me be clear again, nobody I know, well, no, that's not true. Some are, but nobody that I am listening to or close to are saying, oh yeah, we should have stayed in Afghanistan. But how we left and what we did, and maybe say it this way, it's just another reason to recognize that the tragedy of the 20 years of lost war is so profound, so significant, so heavy. It's, it's just amazing and terrible. And it will have an effect on America and our ability in the world. We still have the best economy. We still have the best system of living together. We still have the best people. We still have the best. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm here to say, to say over and over again, we have the best military. They're messing it up. Our leadership is pretty bad. We have the best tradition. We have the best way of life. The world is still envying America. Don't get me wrong. But we have a problem on Crisis Afghanistan Day 3 that is not being addressed. The President of the United States and his team are not addressing the problem. They're not moving and they're not moving ahead. We now have again, this came out two or three days ago when Joe Biden said we've got 90 percent of the people that wanted to get out out, which means he could have said it like this. Ten percent of the people that want to get out, we stranded there. And now we have the admission from, I think, the secretary of state or one of the senior uh, officials that said, you know, most of the people who helped us in the wars, well, we couldn't get them out. Most. And I've seen the thrown around. It's a national disgrace. What kind of dishonor have we done? If there really are people who fought with us that aren't getting out, they're just going to be murdered. They're just going to be slaughtered. Their lives are going to be ended. So, again, what are we doing to address that? We, the, Donald, uh, Donald Trump has talked about how it's the worst disgrace in American history, in his lifetime, I think is the way he said it. But maybe it's in history. But here's what Joe Biden's not doing. We've already announced we're going to blackmail ourselves. We'll, we'll assist the Taliban with aid if they let our people out. It's time for us to just get our people out. And demand that they come out and tell the Taliban, this is going to get really bad for you in all the ways that we know how to do that nobody will ever see. I mean, we can drop a drone into some place. We can drop a missile into some place. We can drop all kinds of things into places. We have the greatest military we've ever seen in history. Let's go ahead and get it ready to get this done. And, and somebody's got to start actually acting like a real leader. Like somebody who's going to get fearless in the face of, uh, of, of what's happening. It's, it's amazing to, to see. Again, what, what should we do? Not fight another war. We don't need to enter a land war. What we should do is have a leader take over. Maybe Biden's got to fire all the generals so he can put in somebody. He can, and he says to him, go and tell these guys if they don't let our people out, it's landing on them. The Moab's landing. The, the, everything else is coming. And we're not going to we're going to do what do they call it over the top over the counter. They love saying this. Biden loves saying it over the top capability where we can bring things in from somewhere else. Fine. Whatever it is. Do it. Do it. Don't keep talking about it. Do it. Let's get this. Let's let's move from inaction and and uh, and congratulations 
to action. And let me finish with this. I want to say this again because I want to see this get out into the mainstream. And what I find with this program is I can tell you the ideas I have and I can tell you insights and then you'll see them percolate. The best one was almost eight months ago when I started saying that Donald Trump should be Speaker of the House. And now you see that talked about. I saw it in another column. Now, I'm not saying I invented that. I'm saying I, I've, I mean, I think I brought it up early, one of the earliest, but I like talking about something that I can get out there and have people talk about. It. Here's my example of this. We'll see if it comes around. If you're a U.S. senator, which is what Senator Joe Biden is acting like the senator from Delaware, not the president. If you're a senator, when you're made a senator, they give you an office, a staff, and then they give you a hideaway office. Somewhere in the Capitol, they give you a special office. It's got a special key, and you can go there, and it's, got, it's decorated, and you can be so you can go quiet and be away. No one can get to you. And if you're a senator, no one can tell you to vote. No one can tell you how to vote, but they can't even tell you to vote. They can't tell you to show up. You can't be arrested for not voting. You can't be uh, thrown out of the Senate for anything, really. I mean, I guess you could be, but they don't do it. So you're the king of, the, of your castle. You know, you're the king of your turf. Your staff only listens to you. They can't be bossed around by anybody else. They can't be fired by anybody else. They can't be hired by anybody else. You're in charge. And if you don't want to be dealing with the press, you go to your hideaway. If you don't want to show up for work, you don't have to. And you're in charge, but it's a small universe. Joe Biden is acting like a senator who went to his hideaway, Camp David, didn't want to deal with it. And then when you're done as a senator, you don't have to apologize ever. You can say, this is what I believe over and over again. And no one's going to say anything or do anything. As president right now, he's saying over and over again, I did the right thing. And you're looking at the right thing being wrong over and over again. He's acting like a senator with a hideaway office in Camp David instead of, or in Wilmington, Delaware, instead of like a president who has to adjust to the realities. Now, I have said it will be harder and harder for anyone to be president because of the way the, uh, the, way the media is and social media and the, the sort of the un, unrelenting coverage. But still, when you're the president, you have to act like a president, an executive, not a senator. And we have a, we have a problem. Senator Biden is not cut out to be president. All right, we got to take a break. We come back. We got a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Get all of these interviews, all these segments right there as links, and also sign up for our daily email. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. My old friend, uh, Dr. Thomas Williams, is with us. He writes over at Breitbart.com and lots of other places. And uh, he is, uh, well, he's, oh, he lives in Rome, covers a lot of issues uh, in Europe and other places, but he's also a very thoughtful uh, thinker and a writer. And it's great to have him back on the show. How are you, sir? Ed, it's a pleasure to be back with you in these very troubling times, but it's good to have important voices like yours out there. Well, you're nice to say, and thank you. And I should say, um, you are uh, the Rome Bureau Chief of Breitbart News, uh, is one of your roles, and also uh, teach and, and write. So what caught my eye and what made me reach out to your team at Breitbart News is this, this uh, piece that you wrote about uh, Italy and uh, euthanasia. And I, I, so lay, lay, lay out for us what's happening in the nation of Italy in the last 25 years and, and where it is. And then describe this, uh, this, I guess it's a referendum on the ballot. But, but first, what, what's happened in Italy in the last 25, maybe 30 or 40 years? So basically, Ed, uh, there, there are three dots you need to connect. The first one is the population. The population has been declining substantially year by year. It has not had a single uptick in the last 25 years. Every year it goes down. So, and, and now the birth rate is 1.21 births per woman. 
uh, which is so far below replacement, it isn't even, uh, the, the only thing that's keeping the population even close to stable is immigration. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the age, the, the graying of the population means that the over 65s make up a bigger and bigger share of the population, and they do not pay into the, their to taxes. They are not producing. So you've got a, a problem where you've got more and more uh, retirees who are receiving a pension but are not paying into the system, and you've got a smaller and smaller actual workforce. Uh, this is giving into a situation where now, the third point, euthanasia has been just, uh, we got 750,000 people who signed a petition begging for euthanasia in the country. And basically, you connect the dots and you say, all right, the only way we're going to be able to sustain this is by killing off a certain percentage of the population that is well over 65. It's it's a tragic situation for a classically and traditionally Catholic country. But, you know, we saw this already during the, the COVID lockdowns when people, when, you know, half the deaths that occurred in Italy happened in nursing homes and old folks' homes. And people were not sobbing over this. This was something where they were saying, well, it's the only way we can even we can even viably go ahead is if we lose, you know, part of the population that is not productive. It's a tragic, truly tragic situation. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Thomas Williams, uh, Breitbart uh, News Daily's Rome Bureau uh, chief and also an author and uh, commentator. Um, uh, Thomas, um, but but pausing for a second, uh, if the Italian, um, I mean, the the immigration question. So lots of people immigrating to uh, to Italy, but are they assimilating? Right. I mean, that's the question, because now, and, and, and there'll be an election. There'll be a vote. Is it is it a nationwide referendum? Every register, every voter will get to vote on this. Is that how it plays out? Yeah. The euthanasia referendum means once they pass half a million and they're well beyond that means that the next time they have national elections, it will be a referendum on everybody's ballot. So, yes, this will be up to the Italian people, the entire population. Secondly, as to your question, uh, the immigration question is getting worse and worse for two reasons. One is something nobody talks about is the emigration uh, problem in Italy. The best and the brightest, the brain drain that's happening in Italy right now, the jobs are so few and so poorly paid that anybody who's got a serious degree Anybody who's a professional is going out. They're going to Great Britain in the first place. They're going out to the U.S. They're going out to other countries in Europe because they make a lot more money than they can in Italy. So you've got many of the best and brightest leaving the country. What is replacing them? At this moment, it's mostly uh, sub-Saharan Africans. So there's been a huge push, as you know, for the last five years uh, to bring in more and more Africans into Italy. Uh, and this is the problem there is they, they are not assimilated at all. You've got something that everybody's decrying, but nobody's doing anything about, which is the ghetto culture where they live together. They are not assimilated. They, they don't learn the language and they end up being either beggars in the case of women. Uh, and this is a terrible thing, especially in the case of Nigerian women. They end up going into prostitution. There are gangs Serious gangs now being formed, again, primarily Nigerians, but there are other Afghan nations that are participating as well. It, it's, it's a national crisis. And now that we've got the Afghanistan problem, we're looking at a possible influx of immigrants from the Middle East coming across to Greece, that, unlike anything we've seen since 2015. 
Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Dr. Thomas Williams and um, uh, Rome Bureau Chief, Breitbart News, uh, Breitbart.com. Um, Thomas, uh, you've observed up close, I mean, uh, and written about the history of the Catholic Church. It, it, it always played a, um, a sort of hand-in-glove uh, r- role or relationship in the life of the Italian uh, people. How is how does that uh, how is that playing out? I mean, if there's ever, I, I mean, I could tell already if you're sub-Saharan Africans, that's not going to necessarily have influence. But is the Catholic Church, um, uh, uh, you know, leader is the leadership that, uh, unable to influence what's happening? And and frankly, is this the Italian government? Is this the only way they see their way out? Is it just a practical uh, uh, move at this point? Well, uh, this is something we've been documenting now for the last several years. There's a greater and greater disconnect between the Italian people and the Italian church. And it's a very sad thing. I'm a Catholic. I'm a believing Catholic. And I, but the, the fact of the matter is that there's very little understanding between Pope Francis and the Italian people and less and less between the Italian people and the Italian Episcopate that are falling into a kind of a progressive camp. They're very pro-immigration. They are very pro-green uh, and they are just not understanding, whereas the population is moving much more in, in a direction of sovereignism and direction of, of nationalism. And this is not, you know, despite what some, you know, naysayers will say, this is not a Hitler-esque sort of nationalism. It's just wanting to reassert uh, the sovereignty of the people, especially vis-a-vis the European Union that is, you know, we're used to being told what we can and cannot do by the European Union from Brussels. And this is something Italians are kind of fed up with. They don't have a national currency anymore. They can't control their monetary policy. Uh, You know, the the situation economically is very, very dire. And unemployment is very, very high. And you've got this huge immigrant influx. So, yes, you do have a real problem right now. People still love the church. They still, uh, you know, in, in fairly substantial numbers, go to mass on Sundays. They are they are believing Catholics, but they're not believing their leaders, and and that's where you've really mm-hmm. got the risk for them. We're talking again with uh, Dr. Thomas Williams, who's a Rome uh, Bright, Breitbart News Rome uh, bureau chief. I want to slide over to another piece that you wrote because uh, this this gentleman, uh, I think this was on August 30th, you published this one. Uh, Archbishop Nauman, Joe Nauman, who's from Kansas City, Kansas Diocese, uh, Archdiocese. He's a St. Louis priest. I knew him very. I know him very well, and uh, he wrote a letter about rights of conscience and regarding the vaccines. And you wrote about this. And I guess, and I know your background is also in uh, theology and, and philosophy. Um, conscience protection, Thomas, has almost the richest history in in sort of Catholic thought, but also in, in American experience. And yet we have an archbishop, one, uh, from the Midwest saying, uh, yeah, don't forget the right of conscience when it comes to mandating vaccines, when it comes to mandating a behavior on the on a human person that they must do this. First, one observation I'd love your reaction to is it feels like uh, a lot of other voices are missing. And secondarily, tell me what your thoughts when you read the archbishop's letter and what he was trying to do. Well, I, you know, I like you, I'm a huge fan and I and I thought he was right on the mark. And he makes it very clear. He says, I got the vaccine. I have no problem with this personally. This is not my battle. But what is my battle is religious liberty. What is my battle is that people have a right not to be obliged to do things that they don't believe in. You know, that's part of our rich tradition, Mm -hmm. both as Catholics and actually as Americans. As you say, this is something that goes back. And we've had this really weird flip-flop. So, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, you had the left 
that was pushing for conscientious objection while people generally on right. the right were saying, no, get up there and serve. And now you've got the exact opposite, where people on the right are saying, look, there's freedom at stake here. You can't tell people that they have to get a jab in their arm of something that's untested to something that was, even if remotely, was formed by, by abortion stem cell or abortion stem, uh, cell lines. And people have a problem with that. And they have a right to say, you know what, I don't want that. Or they're young and they know they're not going to die from the disease. You know, if you're worried right. about you wear a mask, you get you get the vaccine, but don't oblige people who don't believe in it to do that. And the archbishop stepped forward and said, look, this is not my battle, but I will step up for those people that I believe have a right to say no. Yeah. And and uh, Thomas, last last question. His voice is great, and he is the head of the pro-life committee for the Catholic bishops. So he he's you know he's a leader, and, and he's got some. But where are the rest of the voices? I mean, it, it, you know, again, I I did I was involved as an attorney back in the early part of the this century when we had uh, the governor of Illinois Blagojevich trying to mandate pharmacy uh, pharmacists to dispense RU forty six and uh, you know abortion inducing drugs, and it was like, wait a second, you, as a healthcare professional, you can't be made, you can't be compelled to act against your conscience, but it feels like we've lost this uh, any voices who are really stepping up they're just they're, they're, and he appeals uh, accurately to the common good he says you know the common good requires charity and requires respect of conscience instead we have most of the country i'm talking america now who appeals to the common good and says therefore common good you must do this and doesn't recognize the uh the the role I, and, and back to my my broader question where are the rest of the leaders well, this, this is, you know, I share your concerns because it's been terrible. And, and the two most disappointing in my mind were New York and Los Angeles, where you expected some, somebody to step up, either Dolan or Gomez to step up and say, look, this is, but they didn't. Neither, both of them said we are not going to, uh, our priests are not allowed to issue exemptions uh, for Catholics based right. on, on, on conscience. You did have the Colorado bishops, you had the South Dakota bishops, you had some of the smaller bishop groups coming forward and saying, look, this is paramount. We have to uphold people's rights to conscientious objection. But you're right, it's by and large, it's been very, very disappointing. You had the National Catholic Bioethics Center, by the way, up in the Northeast that came out yeah. very strongly saying, we will not support uh, vaccine mandates. And they were browbeaten by Cardinal Blaise Subic out of, out of Chicago, who was trying to get him to change of position. They held strong. So what we really have right now is a battle going on, even among the American bishops. There's no unanimity on this question. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really interesting to see who's stepping forward as leaders and who's kind of retiring to the shadows. Mm-hmm. It is. It's uh, it's worrying. All right. Uh, Dr. Thomas Williams, uh, thank you. I'll put up on social media his uh, Twitter feed and make sure uh, people see, uh, follow him, his uh, Twitter feed. Let me get it here. I got it. At, uh, at TD Williams Rome. He's the Rome Bureau Chief for Breitbart News. Thanks again, Thomas. Thank you for taking the time calling in from uh, Italy. We appreciate your time. And it is always a pleasure. Keep up the great work. Okay, thank you. Thomas Williams, uh, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. My old friend Lee Smith, and he is the author of The Permanent Coup, his most recent book, The Plot Against the President, about a year before that, and then The Strong Horse. He's a columnist over at The Tablet and Epic Times, which I really like Epic Times a lot. I caught wind, uh, Lee, and I want to ask you about this. Now we're a, a week after this posted, I think, this mm-hmm. column that you wrote. Maybe it's longer ago, but uh, about the elites. You, you use this term, yeah. asabia, and, and, yeah. and now we're a, a, a week and a half into this 
Afghan the debacle of the withdrawal. Right. What, how does this? How do you see this playing out for the powers that be in Washington and in, in the elite, you know, ruling class? Well, I mean, it, it, it's evidence of their incompetence. It's evidence of their corruption. And I should underscore the fact that, look, I mean, Joe Biden is at the helm while this is happening. But it's important to keep in mind that Afghanistan was a 20-year-long bipartisan um, project, right? So the idea right. that, the, that the withdrawal was so badly screwed up is, is hardly surprising. Again, given that there has been no plan, there was no plan in Afghanistan for two decades. So the idea that everyone's going to get it together uh, in time to withdraw was nonsensical, right? But, you know, Biden was the man at the helm at the time, and he's got to take the blame. Look, it further reinforces, it further shows Americans that, that their ruling class is incompetent, corrupt and is not worthy of the country that that they lead right it's also and i mean the price is coming out of americans it's coming to the lives of 13 young servicemen and women i mean these are these are are, these are among america's best right these are great kids fantastic people and they want to serve their country and what happens And, and so our leadership civilian and uniform treats them like they're disposable so this, yeah. this continues to show again that our elite is not equipped to rule and not equipped to govern, but never mind rule. And so I, I, I think that this is what we're we're seeing uh, not too far over the horizon, the end of this particular establishment. And the point I was trying to make in that article, and thanks so much Ed, for bringing it up, is that a lot of people understandably are very concerned because a lot of the people um, in Washington are doing scary crazy and irrational things but what we're looking at is we're not looking at the thousand year reich we're looking at what you know we're, we're, we're looking at the keystone cops and they're playing with american lives and they're playing with american money but these are far from serious people and we do have serious people in this country we have great people in this country and that's the rising leadership we're seeing people every day take a role in leading their communities leading their families leading their school boards, leading their councils, their county commissions. So I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful, actually, d- d- despite or perhaps in some cases because of the chaos our elite is causing, I'm hopeful. And I know we're going to see great American leadership rising soon because it's already started. They've already begun. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Lee Smith, the author and uh, and commentator again over at the tablet, Epic Times. Uh, in this piece, though, you refer to something. I, I, I'll tell you, I had a friend of mine call me today, and she was telling me that she went to uh, went to uh, dinner in St. Louis with an old friend of mine and hers, a priest there. And she said the priest, in his prayer for the meal, said, and Lord, it's something like, I pray that you inspire our young people to love the flag. And she was, she, yeah. she said to me, she said, I was so interested in that. He's an, old, he's an older man. He's, a, he's an 80, 80-something-year-old 80 yeah. priest. When I read this piece, Lee, about how uh, the elites in this country, they stopped caring if you were buying into the patriotism yeah. in the country, right? They, that was not something yeah. that happened. And the, so the fear, the fear that I have is young people don't have role models you, you know of people yeah. who are devoted to patriotism and to the sort of american uh ethos american exceptionalism if you want it and and can mm-hmm. you 
restart that when you have uh, uh, 25 years or 50 or whatever number of years of bad education? Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we've been watching here for, I mean, let's let's just nail it down to a couple years, but it's been going on much longer. It's a campaign of demoralization and desecration, right? This is what the COVID lockdowns are about, right? It's saying, you small business owners, you're nothing. We're going to crush you. We're going to lock all of you people away at home and destroy you. Same with the George Floyd riots, right? This is like, we're going to overturn right. American statues. We're going, we're going to uh, destroy American symbols. We're going to mock American heroes, right? That's what the 1619 Project is about, endorsed by the leading class of this country. The New York Times endorses the 1619 Project. Your history is nothing. It's systemic racism, this and that. And, and, and what? Nonetheless, just let's just look, for instance, at, at, at our military. There are still, I, I mean, the people who are under attack the people who are being laid siege to the Americans who are under attack, their values, their morals, their principles, they still join the military. They still right. love this country. They adore this country all around as 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 you and I have seen once you get out of once you get out of the swamp and once you get out of other places, you and I see it, we talk about it all the time, how much people adore this country with a big and great country it is. So absolutely there, there, there are role models all over. I mean whether it's whether it's the whether it's the priest you were talking about, whether it's about uh, great teachers in, in, in some schools because there are great teachers as well. Coaches, football coaches. Look, football season is starting up all over America. <laughs> I mean, these are these yeah. are inspiring figures, and, and and kids look up to them as they should, and they love the country, and they love the flag, and other symbols, and they love our history, and they love our heroes from George Washington to Walt Whitman. Right from right. from from Thomas yeah. Jefferson to Herman Melville. I mean, we have. I mean, that, that's another thing that people need to keep in mind. We have the in, in our short period of existence, two hundred fifty years. We have one of the world's great literatures, where our ideas of freedom and resilience and charisma are laid out for all the world to see. We're 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 we, the American people, not our leadership. We are still a great example to the rest of the world. Uh, we're talking with Lee Smith, and we, we're gonna, just a minute or two left with uh, Lee Smith on Twitter. He's at Lee Smith DC, and uh, you can all of his books. But Lee, I want to ask you one question as we finish about sliding yeah. off of that topic about the deep state. Uh, in the last yeah. uh, twenty four forty eight hours, Joe Biden had leaked on him the transcript of his call with yeah. uh, the former president of Afghanistan. It, it, it has been talked about as an indication mm-hmm. that the intelligence community was doing what they did to Donald Trump every other week. It seemed like in leaking things. Yeah. Is is that how you read it? And is is that um, is that an indication that you know no matter who wins the presidency, the deep state's still in yeah. charge? It's interesting. I'm glad you raised this subject because I'm actually writing about it. I think there's a possible. I'm writing about it for Epoch Times. There's a possibility uh-huh. it was the intelligence community. Certainly possible. It's also possible it, it, it comes out of the uh, Kamala Harris team inside the White House. Uh-huh. They're very, very, right. very angry at Biden. And if it's coming out of Kamala Harris and the person who's signing off is the man who's actually running the show, Barack Obama. So there, right, there's a right. couple possibilities that we, 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 we'll probably never know for sure, but we can make some pretty good guesses all around. Hmm. 
All right, we'll look for that. Uh, I want to let Lee Smith go. He's got another commitment. Lee Smith, again, everybody, he's an important writer. We'll look forward to that piece in the Epic Times about uh, this leak uh, and what came out of the White House. Uh, Thanks for your time, Lee. Ed, thank you so much. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We come back. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and you can uh, get the link to this interview and other interviews uh, over there and sign up for the daily email, which is available at ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there. It comes every morning in your, in your inbox at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the ProAmerica Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. More than six decades ago, communists took over Cuba while shouting, Homeland or death. All these years later, a new call has risen from the squalor of the oppressed Cuban people. Their new call is Patria y Vida, which translates to homeland and life. Yet this mantra of freedom fighters does not come from a political organizer, but from a group of hip-hop artists who call Cuba their home. Their hit song, Patria Vida, has largely been credited with launching the protests Americans saw in horror from their television screens. The song's refrain declares, You, five, nine, me, double, two, which refers to the years 1959 and 2020. Communist dictator Fidel Castro took control of Cuba in 1959 with encouragement by leftists. He was even welcome to speak at Harvard. And the song refers to the takeover as the evil revolution. Yet to the vaccine police, the outpouring of anti-communist protests in Cuba is supposedly about access to vaccination rather than pent-up opposition to decades of dictatorship. The popular song which inspired these protests says nothing about vaccines and everything about freedom. The singers plead for their government to stop the blood from running for daring to think differently. Obviously, any claims tying the Cuban uprising to vaccines is ridiculous. Just like any other group of people yearning for freedom, the Cubans just want the right to be able to think, speak, and act independent from the iron rule of their communist leaders. Later in the song, the singers declare, the people are tired of putting up with it. We are all waiting for a new dawn. As these words are belted out in the music video, images of brave Cubans resisting their oppressors fill the screen. Something tells me the new dawn they're waiting for won't come in the name of COVID vaccines. The duty of every free American is to stand in support of other peoples who yearn for their freedom. The fake news media who distort and dilute the meaning of the Cuban uprising are doing the work of the communist dictatorship. They are not allies of freedom. The Cuban people know what they want. Patria y Vida. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The false promise of socialism is an illusion. It devalues hard work and creativity. It's the opposite of the American dream. As proven around the world, socialism breaks the human spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're standing against the rise of socialism. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me give an update. I saw a piece over running in uh, Europe, a European, an essay in uh, European journalism, and the, the headline was, Machines Can Read Your Brain. There's little, can, there's little that can stop them. And it's technology is giving access to the inner workings of the brain, and policymakers are scrambling to regulate it. Now, I think I told you for a long time, the problem with the narrative machine is not that it's so big and strong. It's that it's never been this sophisticated. The narrative machine, to remind you, is big tech, big media, and big government all working together to force a narrative on us and therefore to define the truth. What happens is in the case of big tech, they're using neuroscience. They're not just using slogans. They're not just using a good design. Like when you look at the web page on Facebook, you see this image or that image and they've looked at, they figured out how to use smart design. They're not, they're not only using, sometimes they're doing some of this. They're not only using, you know, catchy um, uh, headlines and buzzes. They're also using neuroscience to your reactions, our reactions to the stimulation to the stimuli is adjusting changing our brain chemistry that's what they're doing and the idea that they are not hiring the the best and brightest to figure out the brain chemistry the neuroscience is crazy because there's billions and billions of dollars at stake so you now you see in europe in europe and in the article is about the european union i think who's saying how do we how do we regulate this how if we have the doctors and scientists able to figure out what is in our brains and feed the messages how do we regulate it now, i'm not sure by the way regulation is going to be the thing to solve it because who's the regulators but the point is the possibility of controlling us, not just by uh, advertising, which is old fashioned, but by neuroscience, it's not the future. It's right now. And you're talking about a lot of the studies and a lot of things that were happening initially were happening, addressing things like what is going on with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And they're still studying that. But as they figured out what's happening with neuroscience, they've realized, you know, the simple way to say it is when you get something that excites you or angers you, you get a dopamine hit. And when you get a dopamine hit, your body reacts to set to offset the dopamine. And then you settle down and you go back and forth. It's kind of like the adrenaline rush and people get hooked. They get to be dopamine addicts, by the way, as you can tell, I'm not a scientist and I don't even try to pretend to play one. But my point here is we're seeing the use of big tech, the the use of neuroscience and and big tech using uh, sophisticated science, brain science to change what we do. So now you've got people that are saying, who's in the room now? Now you're going to sort of say, what do we do to figure out what this does? You got neuroscientists in the room. You got lawyers in the room. You got policymakers in the room. You're saying, what are we going to do about this? And who's doing what? And the bigger question to me is what's already happening. What is already happening that we don't even know about? Like, don't you think you could get, let's do a little thought experiment. What if a whistleblower left Facebook tomorrow and came out and said, hey, I was actually part of the lab over there in, uh, in um, was it Menlo, Menlo Park, Menlo Park? Is that where uh, Facebook is or Silicon Valley? I was part of that lab over there and I'm a neuroscientist or I'm a behavioral scientist, but I've, we're studying the impact. And what we can tell is this happens, this happens. We're, we're actually adjusting our model. And here's where it gets, you know, uh, dicey. We're able to target certain types of people, young people, girls versus boys, women versus men, older people, certain people with cognitive uh, uh, disabilities or cognitive differences, certain people that have may have um, uh, certain uh, genetic predispositions. All, doesn't all this seem possible? 
It's possible, right? I mean, again, I don't know, but neither do you. And it, and it goes back to follow the money. And, you know, as, as someone said recently, if you, if you look at, um, if you have filters on the world, if your filter on the world is, um, you know, uh, people are going to be kind to each other because that makes them feel good. Okay, that filter will make you see certain things happen. You'll say, oh, that was good. That person's kind. Someone is not kind. You say, huh, that filter didn't work. Why didn't they do that? One filter that people can use a lot, it seems to be a, a, correct a lot, is follow the money. If you follow the money... You see a lot of things, a lot of behaviors are explained. It doesn't mean it's always caused by the money, but it seems to explain it a lot. In this case, Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, Google, tens of hundreds of billions of dollars in transactions, in interactions, in daily uh, back and forth. How could they not, with all that money at play, utilize this technology and study it? And why would they share that with the public? And so who's in charge? You know, it may seem simplistic to say if Google controls the algorithm on your search engine, you you know, you may or may not ever be seen as a search engine, right? That's kind of simple, pretty easy to say out loud. Now go further and say, if Google is able to uh, understand neuroscience, how you'll respond to what they give you or how or better, you know, social media, Facebook or one of these, they'll respond. How can they shape what you see, shape how you respond, can, uh, 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 predict, not just predict your actions, but uh, but help um, promote them, you know, uh, uh, um, incentivize them. It gets really pretty scary pretty fast. It really does. And again, the size and scope and, and the dependence people have on their, on their computer, on the images of what they're doing, it's, it's amazing. It's breathtaking. So I'll put it up on social media. It's quite a problem. I mean, the, the narrative machine, as I've been saying for a long time, is, um, is truly, truly, truly more powerful than we've ever known. And I don't know the answer on how you, uh, how you uh, break it up or shape it, but I know we better acknowledge it. I know we have to acknowledge it. That's the first part of the problem is understanding exactly what's going on and seeing if you can get to the bottom of it to try to change behavior. So, all right, we have to take a break. We have to finish up. Sorry, not take a break. Finish up. Thank you, as always, to our great producer, Noah Dingley, and uh, Joanna, who helps uh, produce the show with by getting us booking us guests. We always appreciate the guests. Thank you for listening. Please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, sign up for the daily emails there. And uh, it's the Daily Wink. Just put your email address in. We'll send you the email each morning, Monday through Friday. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.